All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Can you see it? Did you notice? Checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. Ed Arms leaves the puck. To the line, Hughes, Jones! You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes, beat reporter here. Like, I don't, I don't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network podcast and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and down Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What a Steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off-air, let's go. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, episode 257. It's a different voice starting this off, but it's the same voice that you know. Chris Faber here, joined by Harmon Dial. But first, we got some business to take care of right off the top. I'm not so good at this, so let's hope that this goes smooth. We are first presented by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. Love the people over at Zephyr Epic. I just saw them out at a trade show out in Langley as well. You can catch them on those trade shows, uh, but you can use our promo code, Hockey Season, all one word, Hockey Season, capital H, capital S. Use that at their website. Use that in their store in Surrey. Or I don't know, walk up to the, one of these conventions and me- mention hockey season. That'll get you $5 off your order as well as free delivery from Burquitlam to Beaches. Beaches being a <laughs> small town in Newfoundland. As of 2016, Faber, a population of 54 people. 54. Hometown of Canadian author Donna Morrissey. I had no idea who she was wow. before I looked this up. She apparently wrote six national best-selling books. I've got to say, Chris, the only thing I'm curious about is what are the beaches like down in beaches? They've got they've got to have some fire 
Fire beaches, don't the town they? of beaches, and that's a Newfoundland town. I'm assuming. Yeah. Farm? Okay. Beaches. I, I I have to think like there has to be a, a beaches beach, right? Would, would that make sense? Because the town's called beaches. You would have a beaches beach. I would assume. Probably. What do you think? What's a better name? I'm like the worst at names. Beach one, beach two. You said. <laughs> that was, yeah. Sort of before a, I was like, I was like, beach one, beach two. A little bit of a cat in the hat style. Uh, the beach. The beach. It's just called the. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> let's move on to uh, the next ad before we we spend too much time. Uh, the, we are also delivered by the great folks at DoorDash. Ding dong. Good job, Harm. Uh, you can use promo code CONVODD for 25% off and free delivery on your first DoorDash order. A good ding dong there from Harmon Dial, who actually had to ring to get into the new recording studio today as well. Yeah, I was about to say the here comes the money intro should belong to you at this point. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm parking right outside, right across from Rogers Arena. I can't literally can't get into your apartment building without you coming yep. down and uh, ringing me in. And now I'm sitting here in the podcast studio. Got this beautiful view of the ocean, some other high rises here, the mountains. It's a sunny day. I mean, with this view, yeah, that, that intro belongs to you, man. <laughs> it is kind of... Uh Honestly, like it's a little bit surreal. So for people who don't know, I uh, I just moved on Tuesday into this new apartment um, right beside Rogers Arena. Literally, we can look outside the window here and we're looking at Rogers Arena. I hope that the echo is not too bad because we haven't fully set up all of the recording stuff. We're actually like doing this on the patio uh, at literally looking down at Rogers Arena. Really cool setup right now. Uh, but this is where I'll be living for the next at least one year. Signed a one-year lease, so I'm excited for that. Uh, and as people can tell... No David Quadrelli on this episode. He is looking at a little bit of a lesser view uh, right now as he is in Edmonton uh, with the Nation Network folk over there. He's going to be at the final Canucks game of the season in Edmonton. So excited for Quads to take that in on Friday. But speaking of the last game of the season, we only have a couple games left. We got the LA Kings playing on Thursday here in Vancouver. It was potentially going to be a really fun game for us Canucks fans, but we'll get into all that and some Canucks stuff first, but you, I just saw a tweet before we start recording here, Harm. You just realized on the iPhone app, the little red, the little red uh, arm, I guess you would call it on the clock. It's always ticking. How, How shocked were you when you first saw that? Well, I'm to be totally honest, someone who's pretty absent minded. I'm the type of person who thinks to myself, oh, I've got to run upstairs and grab a thing like headphones or whatever, and I'll walk into that room and get distracted by something and then wonder why I was in that room or what I was looking for in the first place. (laughs) Or another great example is, I I don't know, I'm just not... I'll forget things really easily. I'll, I'll, here's a great one. I'll think to myself, oh, I need to Google something. I turn on my phone and I get distracted by some other notification. <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm wondering, oh, why did I turn my phone on in the first place? So I just don't notice these little details that well. So I, I just hadn't paid close enough attention to realize. <laughs> I'd obviously realize the calendar app and, and how the number on it reflects the actual date. That one's too right. obvious to miss. But the second time, you got to look a little a little closer, and I just don't have that attention to detail. So I literally just realized, and I was like, "Is it just me?" Or <laughs> see, because this is this is another thing that makes me feel old because you're so young. Is like I remember saving up and buying an iPod Touch when I was like, I think I was probably 14 years old. I was working at A and W at the time, and I was saving up money to buy an iPod Touch because it was like brand new. It was the coolest thing. It was like $300 at the time. It was the first eye touch. And I remember that was like one of the craziest things about it was that you could just see the seconds ticking away like live on your home screen. And to look at that compared to like a Blackberry at the time or whatever the other cool phone, I remember having like a Sony Xenon uh, was like one of my first phones. And to see that on your iPod touch, like it blew me away. And, And I remember like the coolest app at the time was this app where you like you pressed a button and it filled up a beer into your like to your phone. And then when you tilted it, it like looked like you drank the beer. And that like was the coolest thing. We would spend hours and hours just like refilling the beer. It looked like you're drinking the beer. Cause like at the time that was like the coolest thing. Cause your phone tilted and it knew like that your phone was tilting the beer into your mouth. It was the craziest app at the time. That would have been man. So I, that was probably like, 2007 probably 2006 2007 and that was like crazy technology at the time the first cool tech experience i had i think was grade eight was when apple had just really released i'm gonna make people feel old uh (laughs) touch id on the iphones yeah 
And I think it was the 5S and our uh, tech teacher, because I was in a digital immersion program, was uh, was showing it. And I don't know exactly why. Uh, he might have been a developer or had some relationship to Apple where I think he got the phone a little bit earlier, like a week or two early than it was publicly released. And so he just showed everyone. And then he just like passed the phone around the room and everyone would be like, oh, like, let me try my fingerprint, see if, see if I can <laughs> unlock the phone. And now it's crazy because... It's just like now we have Face ID and that's even more convenient. Yeah, Face ID throws me off. It's it's it is pretty wild. I'm like, and then using like when we had masks everywhere to go, it like ruined the oh, the God. small convenience of having like Face ID. I know for all of us, especially like in the press box and everything, like a lot of us have our phones obviously with a password on it. And like everybody's like scrambling to get the quick tweet out. You'd see some people wouldn't have a password on like, and obviously we could wear our masks. So like things wouldn't be able to open up quickly. Like that was a struggle for a while in the media box. Yeah. And I'm, I'm terrible at fumbling through and getting the passcode <laughs> right when I'm in a hurry. So that definitely wasn't ideal. All right. I think we can get into it here with, uh, but you know, actually quickly before. So quads is spending like four days in, uh, in Edmonton this time. Last time we went, we went for three days and two of those days were travel days. And it's Edmonton. So, like, I'm not really, like, that jealous of what he's going to do. But this time, he's actually going to get to go to, like, West Edmonton Mall and see other stuff in Edmonton. Because apparently there's other things. I don't really know. But uh, West Edmonton Mall would be the one thing that I would want to go to next time we go to Edmonton for sure. There's that Boston pizza. (laughs) They have the best Boston pizzas. (laughs) Boston pizzas an attraction point. So, yeah, definitely not uh, jealous of, uh, of the trip down to Edmonton. I've been a couple... I've been down there a couple times, and let's just say there's a reason to answer. Make Send sure that you. the rookie <laughs> is going out to the Edmonton trips. Yeah, that's where your rookie party should be for the athletic. When you come onto the athletic, you have to hit the Boston Pizza on, yeah. uh, on White Ave. Is that the one down in Edmonton? That's the big one. All right, let's get into some Canucks talk here. We're getting to that 10 minute mark. Um, I guess we could just start with the Canucks being eliminated uh, officially. That happened when Dallas and Vegas went to overtime. Pretty outstanding for me to just look at the situation that the Canucks were in in early December to see them play meaningful games all the way up to game 79 or sorry, game 80 to get to game 80 of playing games that were relevant to a playoff spot. You have to take it away as the second half of the year being a massive win for the Canucks. But how do you kind of balance that between everything that we've seen this season? Because the roster didn't really change that much since the new management group has taken over really like a couple of little tweaks, nothing of significance at all changed to the roster. How do you kind of look at this at game 80 being eliminated for the Vancouver Canucks? Where do you take a positive from this? Do you take a negative from this? How do you kind of just look at this whole situation of them getting this far into the season before being eliminated? It's interesting because I was having this conversation with Drancer. I think the team took the most dramatic climactic ride to the most predictable outcome at the start of the, at the start of the season. I remember I, I had to do a bold prediction, not bold predictions piece, but just like 10 predictions on the season. And I remember just looking at the roster and being like, I think this team has around a 40% shot was in my mind what I thought for the playoffs. And so what I wrote as my prediction was they'll be in the mix right till the end, but ultimately just fall short. And obviously the season itself had so many roller coasters, right? The first 25 games were a disaster. And then once Bruce took over, it's felt like a really high ride. But I think ultimately the team at a, at an overall season perspective kind of just played to its ability level uh, where I don't think they were obviously as bad as they were in the first 25 games, but I also don't think that they're a true talent, 105, 106 point team or whatever they played uh, under uh, Bruce Boudreau. Now, do I think if the Canucks made that coaching change uh, a couple weeks earlier, let's say after the, I think it was the Colorado Vegas uh, Anaheim trip that I was on in November, would they have made the playoffs? I think there's a good, decent shot, but I think they were always right on the fringes. They were always going to be Regardless of whether you thought they were going to make the playoffs or not going into the season, I think everybody could agree that they were going to be on the bubble one way or another. And it 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 just feels like that that's kind of how it uh, obviously shaked out. And that's just my overall takeaway is there's so much to dive into in terms of specifics. And I'm at least glad from the 25 game mark that uh, 
that we at least have a lot of positives to kind of build off of and when we have optimism going into next season but I think my biggest takeaway is just this team wasn't this roster wasn't good enough to go all in on to be totally honest with you and when you think about what the Canucks sacrificed for instance on let's say the OEL Garland blockbuster trade uh, the Pullman signing the Hamnick signing on and on it just feels like this team and you can't even I honestly don't even blame Jim Benning for it to be totally honest he had to make the playoffs to save, to save his job if you were in his in his shoes of course you were going to go all in uh, and do whatever you could well that's the thing it's year eight right it was it's year, year eight, eight you had where, to he knows his job was on the line yeah and I think Canucks fans were almost at the point of that's where you almost had to just ride this wave out here if you were going to bring Jim ben, Jim Benning back for this season which they did coming into the season they brought back Jim Benning we all knew what was going to happen. Like we don't, we didn't yeah. know that they were going to fire them twenty five games into the year and then have this crazy ride. But we knew that this roster was going to have a lot of chips put on it as they went into the season because it was Jim Benning's last stand, right? Like that's what it was going into the season. Smart Canucks fans, people that listen to Canucks podcasts regularly, knew the situation that Jim Benning was in. It was like he was going to make the playoffs this year, and I think a lot of people looked at the roster and thought. Okay, there's a pretty good chance if a lot of guys play up to their potential, a couple of guys play above their potential. Yeah, this could be a playoff team. And obviously the horrible start to start the season. Great finish to the year, I think, with Bruce Boudreaux. But I think you're bang on with it. Like this, this is something that Jim Benning was going to do no matter what. He wasn't going to do another retool in year eight. That's just yeah. not possible it for was, an NHL GM. It was reckless for ownership to bring him back. To be yeah. totally honest with you, you know your GM is going to be in self-preservation mode. And... Even if, let's say, it worked out, right? Let's say they had... Because I think conceivably this roster could have made the playoffs. Yeah. Even if they did, then what? Then you have a first-round date with, let's say, Colorado because you're in, let's say, the second wildcard position. And then what? You're going to get stomped in the first round? That's just... It's not ambitious enough of a goal. Well, we heard Benning say it. Like, once you get in, anything can happen. We have heard him say that exact quote. And and that... And we've even heard ownership talk about that. Right. I remember on 650, Aquilini... Um, he was asked by Dan Riccio specifically where he was saying, we hear, we hear so much about the playoffs and the playoffs. What about winning a Stanley Cup? That doesn't really come through in a lot of the rhetoric we see from the organization. And Aquilini basically echoed the same sentiment. So this isn't even a Jim Benning thing. Aquilini was talking about, oh, look at the run Montreal's on. Look at the Montreal Canadiens, <laughs> Canadiens now, right? And he was referencing, oh, look at Mont- look at the Canadiens and how they made it. And He's the funny thing is the ironic thing is you're not even wrong when you say anything can happen in the playoffs yeah, because it genuinely can right we saw what Columbus for instance did to Tampa Bay in the year Tampa I, I, Bay was I juggernaut the, like I had this thought today think about how many teams that have like really good power plays going into the playoffs and that's something that like drives their team to the regular season get completely shut down in the playoffs like just little things like that or a goaltender yeah. that doesn't get hot at the right time it is true that anything can happen in the playoffs. You can't bank but on to that. a certain extent. It yeah. only happens to a certain extent, right? How many of these sort of Cinderella teams actually end up winning the cup, right? Like Montreal had this run great for them. They didn't, they got, they were handily beat by Tampa in the right. final, right? Uh, Vegas, they had their fluke run, right? And in the first year, in the inaugural season, and they were pretty handily beat by Washington. I'm trying to think of the last really Cinderella team. Like people might reference St. Louis. St. Louis still finished, I think. They're right around tied for top 10 in point percentage. And even going into the season, I remember in that year looking at the Blues as a Dark Horse Cup contender. Like, they were a legit team. People might think of L.A. taking out uh, uh, the Canucks the year uh, in 2012. But even in that year, Tran- like you remember, Drancer picked L.A. Yeah. to win. Like, you looked at L.A.'s underlying profile. They were much better than the 8th. Then the typical eighth, and then to uh, them team. they had like the anything can happen where quick just goes next level, right? Yeah. Like that and, is one of the situations there. Yeah, and so anyway, like not to go off on a tangent, but but the point kind of is that uh, it, it was you know looking back at the season, I think obviously there are positives to take away from it, and um, I'm sure we'll get to some of those quite uh, quite soon here. But it, just in a big picture sense, it's it's just unfortunate that they now have these consequences to to uh, deal with in terms of uh, going all in. Of course, it could be worse. It could be Chicago who gave up all those assets for Seth Jones and now you've legitimately got nothing and you don't even have those uh, franchise cornerstone pieces to build off of. But it just kind of sets up 
a monumental offseason for this new management. And I'm just so fascinated to see what direction they go in, how aggressively they want to retool, and how they're essentially just going to put their stamp on this team. I think the immediate response that we've seen from the fan base and from a lot of media members as we cover the team, just looking at what this management group has done so far, you like you have to give them props just simply off of the Hamannick deal. Like I still, I, yeah. I, I we'll see what happens with Dermot. You know, like I think moving a third for him, we'll see. It might work out. It might not work out. Obviously, looking at getting Tyler Mott for a fourth round pick back, not not unbelievable. It's it's a fine deal. I think is what you've kind of mentioned, especially around trade time, that that was going to be the offer that he was going to get. To me, the Hamnick deal gives them a little bit of a buffer going into this offseason. The fact that they were able to do that and return a third-round pick, even if they end up flipping a third for Dermot, just to be able to get Hamnick's money off the books, that was one of the big things in the offseason where I was like, in my mind, when Jim Benning was the general manager, I was like, well, you know what? After they signed that deal, he's here for two years. That's yeah. that's all you're going to have to deal with with Canucks fans. Is that the situation we're going to be in? Now there's the big name of JT Miller and what the future is going to be with JT Miller. You already have some players locked up to some big money. The Oliver Ekman Larson's, the Elias Pettersons, Quinn Hughes up there, some players that earn their money and some players that might be a little bit overpaid. JT Miller has now puts him in a spot where there's a good chance that he could be both of those on his next contract. He could be a guy who really earns that money in his first couple of years, maybe the whole contract, or he could be a guy who is just way too overpaid. And JT Miller is now the big question mark on this Canucks team into the off season. For me, He's three points away from getting to 100. He's got 97 points in 78 games this year. Let's start with the first question. Two games left. Does JT Miller get to 100 points, Harm? I think he gets to it. it I mean, you're only going to have so many opportunities to get to 100 points. Uh, obviously, scoring is up, so it doesn't quite mean the same as it used to, but it's still three digits. I mean, how many NHL players get to say that they scored 100 points in a season, especially in a summer where I think one way or another, if you're JT Miller's camp, you, you're you're signing some kind of extension, ideally, whether it's with the Canucks or if the team does ultimately decide to move him to another um, perhaps contender. If, if I'm Miller's camp, I'm trying to cash in while my stock is at an all-time high. And uh, having the nice round point totals of 100, uh, of 100 I mean, that'd be one, uh, one heck of... Uh, a leverage point to kind of take into your uh, contract discussions. So I, I, I say he does it. He's been... It's going to be like a situation where they're feeding him the puck. Like, with nothing to play for in these last two games, what is the biggest thing to play for? Hughes already has the record. Yeah. Pedersen probably wants to add another goal or two to his goal total. But everybody's going to be looking at JT Miller for the 100 points. Everybody's yeah. going to be passing it to JT Miller. Yeah, and you got to hope the refs are uh, a little bit... Uh, by, by the way, in that Seattle game, oh, I was man. like, <laughs> do, the, do the refs have Seattle on the money line or something? <laughs> so the refs owe JT Miller and the Canucks power play. So, and Miller specifically, my goodness, did you see his reaction after the, after the second oh, uh, yeah. uh, hooking? He, that, that I can actually cool. hear it from, uh, from the arena here, from how close the apartment is. It was loud. <laughs> yeah, so I um, yeah, the refs owe JT Miller and the Canucks uh, some extra power play opportunities, yeah. or, or, or at least uh, tomorrow. Uh, against um, against the Kings, so ho- hopefully that uh, gives him the window, the opportunity, the opportunity there. But I have a gut feeling he'll get there. Not a pr- not an official prediction, but so JT Miller right now, like I said, ninety seven points. There's eight players this year in the NHL who have hit a hundred points, and then the next two up is kind of JT Miller and Mitch Marner, both sitting with ninety seven points right now. We'll have to see what happens with Marner playing in the final games here for Toronto as well. But JT Miller gonna get an opportunity to get to a hundred points. The big question now going into the offseason. Where do we go with JT Miller at this point? Because I'm curious to say what is like an acceptable offer that the Vancouver Canucks put on a table for this type of player? What is the years that works for Vancouver? What's the money that works for Vancouver? Because Canucks fans would love to have JT Miller in a Canucks jersey for a while. People that look at it from a long term, something two to three years, four or five years down the road and want to see his team competing for a Stanley Cup, probably look at the assets that a player like JT Miller could return and they would like to have that with their organization. So let's start with kind of a ballpark area on an extension that is team friendly almost to a degree. I know that we're not going to probably go down that road with the guy who just scored 100 points, but something that I guess would work in your eyes for the Vancouver Canucks on a contract, if anything. It's tough because 
the logic of a of a long term contract for a guy who is going to be thirty pretty soon on those types of deals, you sign them if you're a contender who's ready to win now. Because any contract you sign with a player like that, the logic of it dictates that, dictates that for the first, let's say, three, four seasons, guy will probably be pretty decent value for his uh, cap hit. And then it's always uh, the last two, three years. How right. are those going to look out? And, and I think most contending teams... When they sign a lot of those seven, eight-year contracts, they know that the last two, three years aren't going to look pretty. But at that point, it's like, you know what? Fine, we're, we're rebuilding. It won't matter. We're not going to be contender anymore. If we're overpaying JT Miller by a few million bucks, that's totally fine. But the Canucks are in a different spot because they're not ready to be a legit cop contender yet. I think it's going to, especially if especially if the equation of, involves keeping Miller and not dealing him for assets, you look at how little is coming through the prospect pipeline and the lack of cap flexibility. And I think it's a multi-year project to get this team to being a legit top 10 uh, roster. And so for that reason, you're already wasting probably the first two, maybe three years of a Miller contract, the years in which you're going to extract the best value. And then you think, think of, okay, what would the last few years of the contract look like well for the Canucks the last few years of Miller's contract are, are going to be when they're hopefully you're looking at them as oh they're they're contending now they're ready time to, to add a now. JT Miller time to add a JT Miller and yeah. look if you didn't have Oliver Ekman Larson on the books if you're if your cap friendly page was 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 pretty clean I think you could say if you think he's important enough fine you can roll the dice and say you can afford that type of contract but the Canucks already have OEL in the books. Like that's already one anchor to sort of build around. And, and OEL has obviously been really useful, but he hasn't been a number one defense. I mean, he yeah. hasn't been a 7.25 million or, or whatever he is uh, against the cap. And you also have to factor in that Horvat's going to have his big extension too. And um, you're going to have to weigh how he, how he ages as well. And that's a pertinent question because of course, you have the recency bias of how well he's played down the stretch and the heat, absolute heater that he, that he was on. But don't forget, it was only like two, three months ago where Canucks fans were talking about, we're scared about paying Bo Horvat. Yeah. Is he going to be worth his next contract? So you're already rolling the dice on OEL. You're going to be rolling the dice to a certain extent on Horvat. And now you're talking about JT Miller too. If, if the Canucks were on the cusp of being a contender, you could say, yeah, keep him. But for me, it, it's tough. I think if, if, to go back to the original question, what number? I, again, I would much rather prefer, as much as it pains me to say, as someone who absolutely loves JT Miller, loves his game, and um, and how much I've gone gone to bat for him, I would prefer that they trade him. But if if we are talking about what's a team friendly number that could possibly work, I mean, I don't know if it'd work for JT Miller's camp, but <laughs> I just don't think you could. There doesn't have Go to be a number if you don't think like, especially yeah. if it's almost insulting for you to say it to JT well, Miller. It's almost insulting. I just don't think the cap hit can start with an eight. Yeah, much less a nine. And for him, yeah, for him it can't, and for the Canucks it can't either. Almost, even it feels even like. anything over seven and a half makes me queasy. Mm-hmm. And that's a term like I've seen people float the idea. What about a four-year deal? He doesn't want to go to no. thirty-four and then have to sign another no. contract. There's too much money leaving on the table. Do you do you think there's any problem? Let's say JT Miller whatever, goes to the LA Kings next year and he puts up a point per game. He's 82 points in 82 games. Does that take away from anything he's going to do in free agency if the Kings can't, or say whatever team that trades for him, can't re-sign him? Is he still looking at $8.5 million in free agency plus if he's a point per game player next year? Does that help the cause? Does that hurt the cause? Because he's putting up 100 right now, but then you see him go down a point per game. Is that a decline already as a guy who just turned 30? Would that worry his camp into looking to maybe a lower contract this year with the Canucks. It's a good point, but at the end of the day, it, it's the production that matters, right? And that's why I was kind of joking about how Miller's camp should, should be trying to negotiate whatever contract they can mm-hmm. this summer because I, I don't think... Well, it's what, strike where the iron's hot, right? Like exactly. This is the time to do and it. Even if, let's say, he he would go down to point per game, that's still one heck of a player. I mean, look at what Matt Duchesne fetched in, in free agency. He mm-hmm. got eight flat. 
And he was in his platform year, I want to say he was a bit above a point per game, but his last three years leading up to the contract weren't even really close to well, I shouldn't say they weren't even close. They but Miller was in a different tier of production, right? Yeah. So the Duchesne comp right there is is a big one sticking there for me at eight million. And I'm curious with people looking down the road to that fourth, fifth, sixth year. When we see this cap start to go up again, four or five, six years down the road, what kind of impact does that have to teams? I know it's not a huge, we're not going to see a every six million bump. Yeah, which which I think might help teams looking to be able to feel like they're right, comfortable yeah, yeah, yeah. giving him a six or seven year right. deal. I think they just think that that's a little bit of a an added incentive to make the deal because you know that you're going to get just a little bit each of those three years in the fourth, fifth, sixth year of that contract. You're going to have a little boost to your cap at least. Yeah, and of course, I think the trouble, I, I don't love that logic overall because my thought is that is something that benefits the entire league. It's not right. going to benefit your team specifically. So if you are less, if you're more frivolous in spending your cap with the idea that it's going to go up while your competitors are still disciplined. Mm, I see what you're saying, yeah. At, at the end of the day, every team is going to benefit equally from that. So mm-hmm. you still got to be disciplined about how you manage your cap. And it's unfortunate. And it's kind of what I mentioned uh, last time I was on the episode, because again, as a player, like I cannot say enough good things about how much I love JT Miller and uh, how much he brings to the table and how it's much I love his day. competitiveness. Like, yeah. honestly, he's one of my favorite favorite people to, to talk to, to interact with. And, you know, I've written a bunch of stories about him. It's like, I, I really can't get enough about JT Miller. And it really hurts me to say that it is the best move to move on, uh, to move on. But that's just the reality of, uh, of, of a cap world where resources are, are kind of finite and it's not about Miller himself. Again, it's just the team isn't ready to take, uh, to contend and take advantage of his best years. He doesn't fit with this team's window. No, it's true. And that's how you have to look. You have to look at building a team that way, the correct way. And unfortunately the correct way is to move on from this player who brings so much. One other thing you sort of mentioned, um, uh, about what if his production, you know, goes down next year and and could that affect his valuation this summer? Uh, hurdle still got one heck of a payday, right? So, I mean, and that's a great comp for them to have. So not only Duchesne, but now Hurdle and, and Miller's Eclipse both players' production. He's, yeah, and even like your story in the, in the Athletic earlier this year about him growing as like a leader. Just yeah. not, I'm not saying they're going to read that story and be like, oh, we should sign him. But that is the story that you told is obviously true. It's a real story yeah. that happened to him. That is where I think like even looking at Rangers fans, you saw a lot of the bad parts of JT Miller would be like, oh, well, you know, if we can get a decent trade here for JT Miller. We would love to add him to our group and make a push for this playoffs next year. I know you brought up Philly as an option. I keep saying LA. There are a lot of teams that are obviously going to be in on JT Miller, whether it be a sign and trade or just a trade, like to bring him in at $5 million and then see what happens. There's teams going to be interested in that as well. That's why I think something you've talked about is the off season opens up so many doors because so many more teams are willing to call in the off season on a situation because it doesn't just mean a playoff team. Like you brought up Philly at last time you're on the show. I, I'm still curious to like, I look at it and if the Canucks are going to trade JT Miller to me, like the ask that we've kind of floated around before the trade deadline, I don't think it should change going to the off season. I still think it's whether it be two first round picks, a high end prospect and a throw in or, you know, a high end prospect, a decent prospect, a first round pick and a throw in like it, it has to be that type of value still for JT Miller. I don't think, like, I don't think it needs to be any lower because of that. And the Canucks will be able to find a decent trade partner at some point this offseason, whether it be that haul or something like a really high end right D prospect, a first round pick and another prospect like that. That would make me happy as someone seeing the trade go down. If you can get that kind of haul in return, a first round pick, a, a just a solid right D prospect, anybody from the LA Kings system, pretty much, or whether it be Schneider from New York, you get that with a first rounder and another prospect. I'm happy with the deal right there. Yeah. And I think the Canucks definitely did their homework well in advance of the trade deadline in terms of figuring out all their options with Miller of if we're going to keep him, what that, what could that number look like? If we decide to move him, is it best to shop him at the deadline or in the off season? And I think they put a lot of thought into that and probably learned a lot too, just yeah, from I, putting the feelers out. Right. And I think their takeaway was that they 
didn't feel a, a need or a rush to move him at the deadline. Obviously, which shows in the fact that they kept him. But yeah, it's I think they felt really confident. And I, and I heard this even before um, before the the deadline passed was just this idea of if it gets to the summer, we're we're confident we're still going to be able to get a really strong uh, return. And so I think even internally, the Canucks still have sort of high hopes and, and expectations. I think the one thing to keep an eye on will be in terms of just market dynamics, looking at Mark Shifley in Winnipeg. It's going to be really interesting to see what the Jets do. They obviously missed the offseason or uh, missed the playoffs. And Shifley had a really, really tough first, uh, first half. And his contract is, um, I think it's coming up relatively soon. And I think Shifley definitely went on a heater towards the end of the season. So, It'll be interesting to see if that uh, changes things, but I definitely know in Winnipeg, you know, I was seeing uh, my athletic colleague uh, Murat writing articles about Shifley's future and will the Jets consider moving him and are like, what are the Jets going to do now? Uh, Is this team that's kind of stuck in the mushy middle? Are they going to rebuild? What's their next steps? And so I'm going to be curious to see if a player like Shifley hits the market. And that would be my only concern is if that happens, then all of a sudden you add another top flight centerman to uh, uh as an option for a lot of these other teams like in new york or philly or whoever and uh so that uh could change and, and maybe it's more of a, a buyer's market in the offseason but at the end of the day this is a guy who is going to crest 100 points or come very close to it and at a five two five million dollar, yeah, it's a million dollars less than Shifley's going to be making next year. Shifley has a modified no trade for ten teams, yeah, and another year after next year. So, yeah, yeah, I think it, you know, to see what Shifley, if he were to go for something in the off season, could end up just boosting what Miller's is going to be as well. So, I, honestly, we'll have a lot of episodes to to discuss the JT Miller trade up until it happens, if it happens. Or heck, maybe we'll, we'll we'll be surprised and see a new contract or something along those lines. Lots of off-season talk. We couldn't even get to the end of the season without talking about it yet. I know. Uh, I know we got a lot of stuff to get to in the second half of the episode. I know we got a poll question up for Connor Garland. You got some stuff that you want to talk about with Garland as well, Harm. Uh, quickly mention some stuff about Jason Dickinson, what his status will be for next year, what his status should be for next year. And then we'll touch on the Abbotsford Canucks a little bit with their great run of games. Nine-game win streak now heading into the playoffs, which get started next week so we got some canucks playoff hockey but it's abbotsford stuff we'll talk about that on the other side but first let's throw to a quick ad break and before we go any further into the episode want to give a shout out to parallel 49 brewing you guys can find parallel 49 beer all across bc and alberta and right now we want to give a quick shout out to the unparalleled pack featuring four of the p49 favorites the trash panda the filthy dirty the jerk face 9000 and the hillbilly ninja my favorite of the four there the jerk face 9000 the pink can Something good about those cans there at Parallel 49. So go out and try them. You can find them in most liquor stores across BC and Alberta. And a big thank you to our friends over at Parallel 49. By the way, patio is open. Harm, we got to get you. haven't? No, you've been to the patio with us once, yeah. right? Okay, we're going back soon. The patio is open. I'm looking out of the sun right now. I'm only like a quick little uber down the road and i was saying we get it dude we, we get it <laughs> you have a sick apartment Stop uh, making me i'm feel sorry bad. i'm still so new i've i've been here for like no, 28 no, hours okay i'm still a little bit in like uh in awe like i'm looking at the mountains and the water and the uh, freaking rogers i would be flexing this apartment for the next like for people that don't know the top of rogers arena roof is dirty <laughs> it's, it's not uh not very clean anyway at the penthouse level we're close we're five away i haven't gone up to the because you know how like buildings like this they have amenities right yeah this has two floors of amenities on the top and i haven't like checked any of it up so i think maybe tonight i'm gonna go check don't it worry out. you and vasily after uh vasily brings back the calder cup You'll be a party oh, there. I'll be able to hear it from where, wherever <laughs> he's at, somewhere in this building. Uh, all right, let's get to our poll question here, brought to you by the great folks at Atlas Goods. Use our promo code CC15 to get 15% off your first order of pork rinds or pop rinds. They're the best pork rinds on the market, local here in the Vancouver Lower Mainland area. Order it, and you'll get it by the end of the day as well. I think you got to order it before 3 or something. Something like that. Order it before 3, 259. It'll be at your door by 6. 
or something like that. All right. Atlas Goods. Anyways, check them out. AtlasGDS.com and use our promo code CC15 to get that 15% off. Our poll question for episode 257. What do you think of Connor Garland in his first season with the Vancouver Canucks? Our options are he's great, tries hard. Second option, hope for more next year. Third option, they should trade him or a very low I'm angry today. Only getting 3% of the vote. That is a it's sunny. So people are just, it could be an all time low for I'm angry. And people just, you know, the Canucks just got eliminated. I was expecting a lot of I'm angry's, but not a lot today. Harm. Which one would you vote here? He's great. Tries hard. Hope for more next year, or they should trade him. Or are you one of the 3% saying I'm angry? I think it's a, he's great. Tries hard for me anyway, especially with the way he's kind of closed out, uh, the season I was just looking at it right now, or uh, last night, it's top 35 among all NHL forwards, and we always bring up the five-on-five uh, point production. He's now only a point back for JT Miller, despite uh, mm-hmm. despite um, playing three fewer games, and he's ahead of names like Pasternak, and uh, he's tied with like Rantanen. It's, he's in, in, in pretty impressive company, and for me, the the thing I wanted to bring up with Garland, and I don't want to spend too much time talking about him because we we talked about him a lot last episode. Was I was just thinking back to when him and I um, had our sit down interview two weeks ago for the right. Athletic, and I'm just so impressed at the way he called this heater <laughs> that he's been on. Like honestly, I remember sitting there and he was talking about how he hasn't felt like himself all year to that point, and how you could just see the the frustration and disappointment and the motivation to want to prove to the city and this management group, the type of player that he can be. And he was talking about how motivated he is for that, how he was getting into detail about how he's going to work on a shot this off season and uh, just how he has that chip on his shoulder that he's confident he's going to have a great year next year. And, after explaining all that, he just casually slipped in at the end there. I'm confident about all that, and I'm even more confident that I'm going to end the season off well. Yeah. And now he's got 14 points in his last 10 games. To me, that was just <laughs> I was when he initially said it, I was like, Oh, that's kind of odd, right? Because end of the season, I was like, there's only about 10 games left. You're talking about usually when you're talking about a, a fresh start and working on things in the offseason. Uh, it you required you start for that, and I was like to say it on the record too. I was like, you know, that, that, that's interesting. And then here he is, just uh, putting up points left, right, and center. And uh, even the other night against uh, Seattle has three points, and he could have had more, right? Yeah. Where he had the breakaway, uh, had another partial breakaway that uh, he wasn't able to bury, and, and that's probably what he's talking about in terms of wanting to fix his in tight finishing so he can score more even strength goals, but. Uh, anyway, just wanted to shout that out. I, th- I thought it was really cool that uh, he, I don't know what drove that belief. The next time I, I talked to him, uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting to, to ask. I've just never seen a guy that confidently talk about like the small stretch of games is like, I'm going to go on a heater right now. Yeah. So, And it's absolutely happened. You're right. Like it, we're been seeing him play, play like consistently just top six minutes. He's obviously being put into a really good spot right now, getting a lot of time with Leas Pedersen as a center. Patterson's obviously having a lot of success with him on the wing and we're just seeing what he does so well of like, I think we've seen this so much. Like if you go back and you just somehow like isolate first assist from Connor Garland, what a good job he does behind the net, making passes into slot areas or open areas in front of the net to give guys into good, giving good shooters, good opportunities. Like he is such, he has such good vision behind the net. That's where he drives offense at five on five because he creates such quality scoring chances and though I think he's on the ice for a lot of scoring chances for per 60, when you see these in, in the numbers, like I don't have the the access to these type of numbers, but the the high danger scoring chances that he creates from his first assists are, they have to be some of the highest on the Vancouver Canucks, if not around the league at five on five. Like it's, he is like a top 50 creator of offense at five on five. It feels like. Yeah. And the big thing that stands out for me with Garland is just how smart he is. That's such an underrated quality in his game. It's such an underrated quality in Besser's game as well. And obviously, Besser's not a playmaker. So with him, I'm talking more about kind of his overall reads. But that, I think, is such an important uh, thing for this Canucks group to add to is we talk a lot about the 
importance of adding speed to this roster. And that's absolutely true. But I think you also want to see this club add more of that high-end intelligence. And that's, I think, perhaps one of the reasons he's fit so well with uh, Pedersen, and obviously more recently against Seattle with Miller. But Pedersen and Garland, I think... They can just read read each other, and and it's not, and and maybe that's why Besser and Pedersen have uh, chemistry as well, is because they're also really high end uh, thinkers of the game. But the Canucks need more of that quality, I think, because even with let's say a Nils Hoglander right now, he skates really well, and he's got good playmaking ability, but he. You can tell his decision making is off sometimes, and right. I think Vasily Podkolzin is definitely closer along the lines of like he's a smart player and, and he he has good vision. And um, it's not even from an offensive perspective, but even from a two way perspective, I think that's what this uh, uh, r- roster needs more of is just overall intelligence, right? Because you think of outside of maybe Pedersen, there aren't a lot of high end two way. Um, players who consistently make the right reads on this roster. Now, that obviously doesn't really really apply to Garland as much because I don't think anyone looks at him as a necessarily a strong defensive player. His intelligence is definitely uh, an asset way more in the offensive zone, but I think that's just a quality he has that uh, this roster could use a lot more of. I mean, that and the combination of the effort that he gives every single night, I mean, that's, that's what got him to the NHL. That, yeah, I was going to say that's a great point because I was thinking about the abuse that he takes in front of the net and how yeah. he nev- never stops battling. And maybe this is a great transition, but I think to myself when I watch, let's say, Jason Dickinson and I see his physical frame and his size. Yeah, let's and, go there, yeah. And it's just, I'm just, I just think to myself, why is Dickinson not a more physical presence? No, a of lot course. of times, yeah. though, like, I, I'll watch him on the four check and I see an opportunity for him to finish a check. And he'll just like glide into the boards and not even really bump a guy. And I'm and I'm thinking to myself, man, you have a guy like Connor Garland who he doesn't obviously throw a lot of checks because he doesn't really have the size for it. Although on occasion, ask ask Detroit, ask <laughs> Philip Zadina early in the season when he threw that reverse hit. But yeah, no, but it, when you're it's going the battle into level, the, it's and when you're going to battle just like Garland is, you're going to get pushed a lot. You're going to get cross checked a lot. You're going to get pushed a lot. You're going to get slashed a lot. You're bang on with how is a guy that small. So willing to do it, and a guy like Jason Dickinson, who's so much bigger, a good six foot two, big bodied guy, they just don't want to deal with the repercussions of, of being the player like Connor Garland is. He is willing to do that because that keeps him in the NHL. Like if you have players giving that type of effort in every single game, if your roster was top to bottom effort level at Connor Garland, you'd be a Stanley Cup champion, man. Like it, that this is the type of player to me. But I, I want to. Before we get too far off of the Garland talking, because I do want to talk Dickinson with you, let's read a couple of the replies here. Uh, this one is from Kyle, uh, Kyle KB. Uh, I don't know. 50, point, 50 points at even strength isn't anything to sneeze at, but they really, really need to address the cap situation and the defense. This is where the trade Garland talk kind of comes into play, where it's like if the Kings are a team that's interested, like we've heard rumors of, Massive defense pipeline. See, like if, if there's a great return, a great right D yeah. for Garland, you have to take a yeah. good deal. You have to take a good hockey deal anytime a deal comes at you. You have yeah. to take the good deal if it makes your team better. So that's kind of my answer to that. And then we got here uh, one from Andy. Points are great, but he can't be called a top six winger if you go 19 games between goals. Hmm. Uh, every, I mean. Player, power play time there does kind of make it like listen. 19 games without an even strength goal. That's not a good look for a top six winger, for sure. It's not a good look at all. Pedersen had two even strength goals. You had the stat yeah. in his first half of the season. Right. No, so exactly. And he it, was getting a lot of power play time. Those were his goals were coming is from. Is Pedersen not a top six forward then? I mean, think about how streaky Bo Horvat is. Mm-hmm. It's And that was what Ken argued in the reply there to Andy as well, talking about Bo Horvat for most of his career. It it's guys are streaky scorers. I mean, Brock Besser's a streaky scorer. I'm sure if you look at his uh, even strength goal scoring numbers, he's had long uh, stretches and long droughts. Just, uh, I mean, unless you're one of the elite, elite players in the NHL, you're going to have these uh, ups and downs. And to me, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of just 
part of what uh, what happens when you're a normal human and you're not Connor McDavid. <laughs> I'll bang off a couple more replies here. This one from Sean at BeardyCanuck03. Hope for more next year, but he's been a good addition, even if the trade is contentious. Uh, that's from Sean. And one from Vikingstad. It's really funny how often a player goes to a new team and has a first season that blow away in the following season. Recently looking at Pierre-Luc Dubois at Winnipeg, it's been offered... Sorry, let me try this again. It's been offered often that players put too much pressure and start gripping first season, then they calm down. And that could be something very easily as well that he finds just a little bit of a smoother fit here with the Vancouver Canucks in year two. But hey, you're right. We talked about a lot of Garland last week. We'll do it. We'll continue to do it because I think we're fans of what he brings to a yeah. game every time. And we do think he's a top six forward for this Canucks team moving forward. But we also know that if a really good hockey trade comes your way and some other team sees a lot of value and how much Garland creates at five on five. And they want to add to their group. That's kind of looking like the team that, you know, do the LA Kings want to do with the Vancouver Canucks did a couple of years ago and add a guy like JT Miller, like, you know, maybe not to that level that Garland's going to be that good, but he's the same kind of age group of where you can add that type of player. So we'll see what happens uh, with Garland here, but let's talk a little bit about Jason Dickinson who we brought up a little bit <laughs> uh, already to, to knock the effort level, I guess you could say. And then Jason Dickinson was brought in here to Vancouver to be a third line center who could control goal share, who could play solid defensively, you know, win faceoffs, be a guy that really could help this team. And I think a lot of us looked at what he did before with Dallas and said, sure, this looks like a good player that they've added to this team. There's not a good fit here with Jason Dickinson. He has the lowest goals for per 60 of regular players on this Canucks roster since Bruce Boudreaux took over. 1.38 goals per 60 minutes on the ice for that. That is horrendous. On top of that, the guy who was brought in to play good defense has the highest expected goals per 60 on the team since Bruce Boudreaux took over with an expected goals against at 3.06 per 60. Two more years for Jason Dickinson here at $2.65 million dollars. Harm, is it just the fit or has Jason Dickinson just lost his shine? Because it felt like, you know, not like literally last year, he was a player that was really helping a Dallas Stars team and was a guy that you could like match up against other teams, top six lines and feel confident about. Now, what are your thoughts about Jason Dickinson and how do you deploy him here in Vancouver even? It's a really tough situation. And I agree because based off his track record in Dallas, I think you could be fairly confident that he was going to come in and we knew he wasn't going to have a lot of offense. That was never yeah. what he was brought in to do. But in terms of adding defensive stability, stability to the bottom six, and especially when someone like Brandon Sutter's out for the season, being able to bring uh, a lot of those own zone qualities and it just, none of it worked well. He couldn't win a face off. He was disastrous on the penalty kill in the first 25 games. He, was even worse offensively than uh, than advertised when the team actually thought when they acquired him that, hey, this is a guy that might have more offensive upside than he's shown to this point. Nothing's panned out for him. Now, I do think a lot of times you do see first year for a player on a, on a new team, new organization, trying to find his fit. It doesn't work out. I think it was also obviously disappointing that here was a guy that we thought if he can play in a third line that takes on tougher defensive matchups, maybe that can free up Horvat, and that obviously never happened either. But at the same time, it's uh, I'm looking at the club's options with him for next season and going into the summer. Maybe there's a Pierre, another Pierre Doran you can take advantage of in the offseason <laughs> who wants to take on Dickinson's contract, but I'm not sure that uh, I'd bank on it i don't know how realistic that is certainly it wouldn't be my expectation no team's coming knocking with a third round pick for jason dickinson yeah. now, though right like i don't yeah. think that's gonna happen anymore because after the season that he's had and i guess you look at the money that he's owed you know 2.6 not only for next year the year after that is the best spot for dickinson now to just ride out what you have with him it's not like his cap hits ridiculous but to me like i don't know if it's worth just trading Dickinson for a seventh. Like, I don't know if that's still a good deal either. Cause I still think there might be. Some oh, I would there. on a heartbeat trade. Like, you would do I would, it. I would trade Dickinson for, give me a bag of pucks. Really? I would take that cap space and you know, it's 2.65s uh, big. And I would, uh, I mean, there's a chance. Let me say this. There is a chance Dickinson can rebound. Yeah. Right. He, he has the track record and Boudreaux, I can't remember which press conference it was, but he alluded to the fact that all those years coaching in Minnesota, he remembers the type of player 
Dickinson would could be in in Dallas's uh, middle six, but maybe it was also a situation where that Stars team played that tight checking defensive way, and they wanted to play low event hockey, and it seemed to suit Dickinson's strengths well. Whereas the Canucks have always been more of a run and gun isn't the right word to describe them, but loose a loose team structurally. So maybe it's just not right. I call like a quick transition almost is the way that that I see, especially getting out of the defensive zone. They have to be quick to get out. Like that's when their best breakouts happen to me. Watching this Canucks team is like it's not a structure thing. It's literally like a oh that guy got an extra step there and that's how you hit him. To me, it's like a quick transition. Yeah, more than a structure like a Dallas would, where it's the guys moving in their right lanes every single time. Like that's the way that I look at it. So yeah, sort of running gun, I guess. Yeah. So if there's a team out there that wants to take Dickinson on for anything, I'll, I'll really because I don't know if I'm in that camp really? just yet. Like I, I obviously I've seen him play this season, and I know that it's two point six five million dollars that you can spend on the cap somewhere else, but. Like, I, I just think that if you're getting Dickinson at his best, he's a pretty valuable player. And maybe not for 2.65, but because, yeah, like I haven't seen him play center. So I'm kind of in the thoughts still of if he's playing your third line center at 2.65 and being good defensively, yeah, but nothing he's shown this year he kind makes of leads like me more to than that. half of Garland. And we're talking about a player in Garland mm-hmm. who brings a ton of value to the table. And we're talking about are we going to shed Garland for, for cap purposes? I think that tells you how important it is to squeeze out every dollar you can. So you get a fifth round pick back for Dickinson. You're happy right this off season. Yeah. Really? I, I can like, I can see a team doing that then like for a Jason I, Dickinson. I don't know. I, I think it's tougher personally, but again, I mean, all it takes is one team. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of one teams out there. I think uh, somebody on the show called an organization dumb. There's a few dumb organizations <laughs> uh, around the league to take it on. I think that the Dickinson ones is going to be interesting to talk about. Cause like I've, I've had this thought in my mind where if he reaches potential, he's valuable, but how can I think that that's the real potential if everything I've seen this year is screaming no to that, but I still have in the back of my mind, the thought it's, of it's him, possible. right? I'm not saying it's mm. yeah, for me, it's just more probability. I'd rather not roll the dice on it yeah. and risk having, that dead money on uh, on the books, especially because the um, middle class in the NHL is really what's getting squeezed out totally, yeah. today, right? Now nowadays, you all I you don't want too many players unless they are way more valuable than their cap hit. You don't want to be paying a lot of these third fourth line guys in that sort of like two to three and a half million dollar range. And obviously if Dickinson plays up to his potential, that's a fine contract. He'll be worth every penny, but when he doesn't start off on the right foot, if you could give me the chance to kind of just hit, hit hit the delete button on that, I'd rather do that than roll the dice that uh, he bounces uh, back. But barring a trade, I mean, it was interesting because I, I will say the one, the one, let's let's assume they aren't able to move him right because there's a chance they can but i mean even when let's say the hammock trade happened like people 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 around the league were were like how the hell did vancouver do that (laughs) so they're like shocked right like the general league-wide consensus was wtf auto what are you doing yeah so it it wasn't i don't know how many more of those um uh, bunnies out of the hat. Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford can, can pull at this point, but if he doesn't, then it's essentially keep him or buy him out. At which point, I'm like, all right, just keep him. Right. I think that's. I think the thing that I can't quite get past is that you just traded a third round pick for him, so you've already rolled the dice once. Like, but to, you don't want to fall into that sunk cost fallacy. That that yeah, you, that draft pick is gone. Is gone. Yeah, you've got to make what's what the best decision is for you right now. No, it's true. And I think, you know, blank sheet with a new management group coming in, it kind of gives them an easier option to do that as well. Yeah. Right? And it's that they have no attachment to this guy who really didn't bring a lot for them this year. Yeah. And I mean, odds are that if they aren't able to move him and we're saying that I wouldn't want to buy him out, then odds are you're probably going to end up <laughs> keeping in it, keeping him anyway. Yeah, most definitely. I think we'll, we'll, Obviously, talk more Dickinson later on in the season, but let's wrap up with uh, somewhat of a scouting report here. Just want to talk about the outs for Canucks just a little bit here, and, and I'd like to get your opinion as someone who obviously follows a team. I wouldn't say every single game, every minute you've watched, but I, I just kind of want to get started. Like they've won nine in a row. 
Jack Rathbun was just named to the all-rookie team. They're about to get a massive boost here. Nick Patan, Vasily Podkolzin, Spencer Martin, Sheldon Dries, Will Lockwood are joining this team that's on a nine-game winning streak going into the playoffs. Harm from like a... Because I look at it, I guess, from a lot of like an AHL standpoint. I look at this AHL team having success. I look at the coaching staff. I look at everything they're doing so well. Can you take me from like a wider lens just for the organization? Like what can an AHL playoff run do for the organization, specifically some of these players in the Will Lockwoods, the Jack Rathbones, the Mikey DiPietros, the Vasily Pod Colsons now, even Daniil Klimovich. Like, is that how you're strictly looking at this playoff run for the AHL team? Yeah, and I remember earlier, I think earlier in the month, I was able to interview Ryan Johnson and sort of ask him about this, and, and he mentioned that uh, these playoff experiences can accelerate a lot of these young players' development because even in the NHL, we talk so much about players needing to gain uh, the experience of playoff hockey and and learning how the game changes when the stakes rise. The same thing happens in the AHL, obviously on a, on a different level. It's, it's not going to be as applicable once they reach the NHL, but as much big game experience as you can add when there's pressure, when there's adversity, uh, when you really have to challenge yourself and dig deep, I think is uh, is great. And I well, think it's when it, everyone's playing their best hockey, can you play your best hockey? Yeah, and, and the games get harder, more tight checking, and uh, sometimes you have to go soul searching. And if you go down to onus to own a series, do you have the mental resolve to come back from it? And uh, the highs and lows, in game momentum shifting, it's just a totally different, I think, ball game and totally different experience. Uh, just think back to. Game one of uh, the playoffs when uh, in the bubble when Goddard and uh, McEwen eventually drew in. Not, I don't think for Goddard, I don't think he drew into game one. But essentially, yeah. their first first playoff games, you could tell that they were jittery, that there was uh, something sort of mi- missing there. And um, so, it's great to develop that big game experience. I am especially excited to see. I mean, everyone wants to see how Pod Colson does, right? Course, Here's yeah. a guy who, in the KHL, always stepped into a bigger role in the playoffs, always produced his best uh, in the postseason, and especially with the momentum that he's had. Uh, that'll be uh, great to see for Jack Rathbone, right? Here is a player who is known as an offensive defenseman, wants to be more than that, just that at the NHL level, though, because... The NHL level, you already got Quinn Hughes quarterback in the first power play unit. You already got OEL. You've got to be able to add more to the table than just offense. And so now's a chance to test that skill set of can you defend against top lines? Can you defend leads? Can you be trusted in all situations? PK, uh, five and five. And uh, I also think to that degree, like learning how to be the best defender in a seven game series when you're facing the same opponent seven times. Can you read and learn how to stop this team? Like Jack Rathbone, when he gets to game six or game seven against the Condors or the heat, whoever they're matching up with in the finals, like, is he going to be able to be smart enough? Is he a smart defender that can learn and be able to teach himself how to stop certain players with certain moves they can do? And can at the same time, Jack, who's an offensive defenseman, does he have more than just that fake slap shot step over? Like, can he yeah. also make his moves go to the next level? So to see them get into some series, like that's what I'm excited to see too, is how this team's going to react in series play. Like they, they're winning. Like they're, they're on nine game win streak. They're about to get a full new top six. And they're starting goaltender back. Like they are about to have a massive boost and be they the expectations for them in the playoffs should be sky high. They're the best team in the AHL in 2022. They're the only team that they haven't lost a game in 10 games in regulation. They're the only team in the AHL doing that. They are rolling into the playoffs as the hottest team in the AHL. The expectations should be sky high, not only from how hot they are over the last 10. Like I said, the players we just mentioned, like Nick Patan is a guy who dominates the AHL. Vasily Pod Colson is a guy who, when he went down to the minors in Russia, like he doesn't take it as like a knock. He takes it as a spot where, yeah, when he went down to the VHL for those two games last year, like he went and ripped it up. He played first line minutes, both on the special teams, like on the power play and the penalty kill. He's taking face offs that game on the penalty kill. He's ready to go down there and work on everything. And that's just the type of player Pod Colson is. Like he's looking at this as a huge opportunity. I hope that the rest of these guys are as I expect them to, because they spent a lot of their seasons 
in Abbotsford. Like Nick Patan spent a lot of time in Abbotsford. Will Lockwood spent a lot of time in Abbotsford. These type of players that were there for a lot of the run are like here to finish the job. And then you're throwing in a Vasily Pod Colson who wants to be the guy who puts them over the top. Like this should be really exciting. This is like the most exciting thing for me all season long is like getting to see what Abbotsford's about to do here. Yeah, and it's great for breeding a winning organization too, where the the farm team is as close to Vancouver as it's ever been. Yeah. In in a physical sense, but also that means now in in a way where they're kind of tied together, especially you're all under the Canucks brand and you want uh you want your AHL affiliate to be consistently winning and when your prospects come in uh, to be in this winning environment as opposed to, let's say, a losing environment where you're playing meaning- meaningless games and uh, you get to January, February, and, and things are already over. And, and it's hard to kind of replicate the same level of intense, intensity, uh, accountability, and just having that winning attitude compared to when you're, let's say, what Abbotsford has been this season. And I think that's why it was... Uh, such a good move for the organization in the summer to invest so heavily in uh, restocking and finding as many of these uh, sort of quad a Nick Patan type uh, Sheldon dry type additions yeah. to really bolster uh, this, uh, this roster because you're right. The team looks like a wagon right now. Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely does give me a lot of fun. Um, they're only, so there's two games left in the year for Abbotsford. There's one game left in the year for the Bakersfield Condor. So Abbotsford actually doesn't, yet have home ice throughout uh, for this little three game series. that's going to start the HL playoffs. They just need one point in their final two games, or they need the Bakersfield Condors to lose on Saturday. Then we'll have home games. We'll have the three game series. I'll be on the call for all three of those games. If it's out in Abbotsford, super excited for that. You can get an HL TV package as well for like 29 bucks. I think we'll take you the whole playoffs. So it's a little, little steep, but it's, you know, better than pay-per-view games. We used to have to pay for before harm's time. You don't remember a pay-per-view game. Do you? Non pay per view games like a Saturday night, you would have to pay for the pay per view like seven ninety nine to watch a Canucks on. You'd have really? to pay for it. Yeah, it's nuts. You'd only get I no like idea. man, like because people will be like, oh, well, back in my day, I only there was only ten televised games. But like when I was growing up as a kid, it was it was always something like forty eight ish to like sixty games were televised on Sportsnet. Maybe then there was a wow. handful on TSN, and then there'd be about if I remember, like I think the numbers like went down every year when I was kind of in my childhood, but it could have been something like, I don't want to say 20, 20 feels like too much, but it had to be like 16 to 10 pay-per-view games a year. They were like the big games. Like it was like Saturday night against uh, the, the Calgary flames or like Friday night. Cause I think a lot of them were hockey in Canada still. And that was kind of the way that I guess Saturday night games, but if it was like a big game, you had to get a pay-per-view for it. Sometimes wow, I didn't it know sucked. That. Oh yeah. And that was like when I was a kid. So it wasn't like, you know, the nineties or the eighties, like, would have been like early 2000s probably. Wow. So that would have been right in the West Coast uh, Express. Yeah. A lot of pay-per-view games I remember in that time. Oh. And they were worth it. They were worth the price back then for sure to watch the West Coast Express do work. All right. We'll wrap it up there, Harm. Appreciate you filling in. Quads will be... I don't know if he's back. I don't think he's back. So maybe I'll uh, give you a shout, see what you're up to on Friday if you come by. Either that or I'll have uh, a couple interviews for the show as well. But by then... We're going to be wrapping up a Vancouver Canucks season with uh, season-end media availability coming up very soon as well. Obviously have some big takeaways from that for next week, but we'll wrap things up there for my co-host, Harmon Dial, who gets, uh, let's, I guess we can give you a little bit of the money, eh? Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. All right. Money, money, money. We'll wrap it up there. Harm, thanks for joining me here on the show. You were saying this should be my intro, though, now. From moving on from now. The I mean, as long as we have the studio here with this view and this apartment and... As long as I still have to uh, have you come down and buzz me through your fancy little apartment, it's your intro now. Should be. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see if I need my own intro moving forward. Definitely not going to be the goalie intro. Uh, so we'll wrap things up there for my co-host, Harmon Dial. My name is Chris Faber. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Delivered by DoorDash. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.